0: May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When Jesus talks of friendship, it was certainly something more than our 21st century understanding of sending a friend request and you get to decide whether or not to accept it or unfriending somebody when they made you mad. Before the world wide web changed friendship, we understood friendship as a relationship of mutual self-selection. From kids on the playgrounds or teenagers or adults, we sought out people or groups of people that had things in common with us. And over time, we built up relationships of love and trust. You didn't become a friend the first time you met somebody. But the friendship that Jesus is talking about is even different than that old-fashioned 20th century notion of friendship that was built up over in-person relationships. Jesus tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. To be a friend of Jesus is not about having something in common. It's not that you like the same movies or you read the same books. It's also not about developing feelings of love or affinity or loyalty. Jesus has chosen and appointed and commanded. At first, it was a group of fishermen and tax collectors and women, the weak and the vulnerable in first century Palestine. And today, it's us folks here from all different backgrounds, from different ways of life. We all ended up here, of course, because we woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go to church. But we made that decision to come to church because ultimately Jesus chose us first. Amen. So if Jesus, or being a friend of Jesus, isn't about loyalty or similarity or emotional love, then what is it about? Jesus tells us in this reading from John that it's about following God's commandments. It's about following the commandment given by Christ Himself on that last night with His disciples. In Holy Week, we celebrate this new command that Jesus gives on Monday Thursday. The commandment first comes in the 13th chapter, which is what we read on Monday, Thursday, but it's important enough that Jesus has said it again in our reading from today. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus commands us to love each other the way he loved us. Jesus loves to the ends of the earth and beyond. Jesus' birth and life and teaching and betrayal and death and resurrection was all for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. Jesus didn't just die for his family or for this small group of friends in the upper room. Jesus didn't just die for the people of Israel. He didn't just die for the righteous and the godly, the folks that had figured out how to follow the law. Jesus died to save both the weak and the strong. He died to save the just and the unjust. He died to save the innocent and the criminal. He died not just for the generation that knew him in the flesh or the generation of the apostles, but for the generations that were to come, that would believe even though they did not see. John makes it pretty plain earlier when he says that Jesus died because he loved the whole world. Saint and sinner alike. The love that Jesus commands us to have is not a feeling or an idea, but is an action. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, the Gospel of John tells us. And that this abundant life that Jesus is talking about isn't if you have the newest car or the fanciest clothes, the abundant life that Jesus is talking about is the life that the prophets had talked about for generations before him, a life that is of God's justice and mercy and grace. It's a life that stands in stark contrast to one of greed and power and violence that the world offers. To live a life as a friend of Jesus, one chosen and appointed to bear fruit, means to live a life of self-sacrifice for those whom Jesus loved. It's to live a life following God's commandments to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And whenever we stop to ask the question, who did Jesus love? The answer is, is that Jesus loved the whole world. Yesterday, there was an event in downtown Birmingham that commemorated something that happened in Birmingham 55 years ago. Some friends of Jesus that happened to be young people, students, children in Birmingham schools put their love into action, and participated in what we called the Children's Crusade. It was 1963. If you had lit a match, the city would have gone up. And these kids did something that their parents could not do, because they had nothing to lose, except for themselves they walked out of their classrooms and into the streets of Birmingham and engaged in nonviolent protest of the city's segregation laws and the injustice that Birmingham was known for and they were met with arrest hundreds of them arrested on the first day and the ones that got out of jail came back the next day and the next And they were met not just with arrest that time, but fire hoses and dogs turned on them by the police, but they kept coming and they were a public witness and self-sacrificial love because they were friends of Jesus and they could do nothing but the Lord commanded them to do, which was to put their love into action and their witness became a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement. Because ultimately, this country couldn't look at children being abused and arrested and terrified and not realize that something was wrong. Ultimately, in September of that year, of 1963, that those children would pay the ultimate sacrifice when four little girls were killed in the 16th Street Baptist bombing. So much of what was accomplished in the civil rights era of the 1960s came from individuals and groups that realized that they truly were friends of Jesus and that that friendship required putting love into action and to being public witnesses to what God's justice and righteousness could look like in our communities. Unfortunately, even as we remember the sacrifice that those young people made 55 years ago, we also realize that we are still engaged in that same struggle. We face a country that seems divided more than ever, a country that remains shackled to an evil system of racism and poverty. While we no longer have plantations or legally sanctioned segregation, we have imprisoned generations of African-Americans through unjust criminal laws. We continue to pervert our systems of public assistance to distinguish between the deserving and the undeserving poor as though we are not all undeserving in the sight of God and have been saved by grace. We perpetuate systems of education that are definitely separate and are certainly not equal. We have an economy that relies on militarism and manufacturing devices of death and that destroys our environment and we have allowed a system that forces the poor and the weakest among us to most directly deal with that pollution as we drop pollution and poison the soil and the water in largely poor and African American communities. The struggle that began long before 1963 of bringing God's righteousness and justice continues today, and we should look to and be inspired by those friends of Jesus, those children and youth that took to the streets of Birmingham. Many in the church caution against entering the fray on these issues. They call them social or political issues and that the gospel and the church should stay out. That religion is about some other worldly endeavor, one that is about the soul and the sacred and not about the body and the world. The church is invited to keep its nose out of it and to remain silent behind the anesthetizing security of our stained glass windows those words maybe sound a little familiar. It's because they were written by Dr. King from a Birmingham jail cell in 1963. Mm -hmm. King wrote from his cell that the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. The church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church. It will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I am meeting young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. Those words are 55 years old this year, but they could have been written yesterday. It is the sacrificial spirit that King talks about that is at the heart of how Jesus defines love. And if we are to be friends of Jesus, it is the command that we are to follow. So I come to you today. You are my friends in Jesus. Jesus. And I come to you to ask your help. This week is the final week of preparation before the revived version of the Poor People's Campaign that Dr. Martin Luther King died for in 68. Across this country and across this state, people will again take up the work of Dr. King through nonviolent protest and to be a public witness to God's justice and righteousness. It's not a movement about Republicans or Democrats. It is a movement about what is right and what is wrong. It is a movement that calls on Christians to love our neighbors as Christ commanded. We are called to bear fruit, to bear public witness, no matter the cost. We're called to love justice and mercy. For 40 days, in at least 30 states and in Washington, D.C., people of faith and conscience will rally, they will pray, they will sing, they will preach, they will lift up stories, and the voices of those have been devastated by our system of power and abuse in this country. And here's my favor. I invite you to figure out how you can put love into action. For some, they'll be able to journey to Montgomery and be part of the rallies that happen down there. Some may go to a singing event that happens nearby in Birmingham. For any preachers or anybody out there on Facebook world, I invite you to preach it and to pray about it in your congregations, to talk to people about it. But everybody, Regardless of where you are or what your situation is, I invite you to pray. I ask you to pray for the leaders of this movement in our state. They come from Huntsville and Birmingham and Montgomery and Mobile and little towns all the way in between. I ask you to pray for the leaders of the movement across the country. I invite you to pray for those that are brave enough to come and tell their stories in the face of so much power and strength. I invite you to pray for the safety of those that may choose to put their bodies on the line and be subjected to arrest. I invite you to pray for the law enforcement officers and public officials that will have to decide how to respond to rallies and public action, and ultimately how to respond in our state houses with legislation, I invite you to pray that our ears and our hearts across this country will be open and turned to God. I ask you to pray that we become a people and a nation that can finally be set free from the evil of division and injustice and violence that shackles us. I ask you to pray that Dr. King's vision that he wrote about from the Birmingham jail cell may finally come true. He ended his letter there praying that he hoped that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities and in some not too distant tomorrow, The radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty.